everyone, and welcome to a special episode of the Pop Culture Club podcast, in which I essentially try to present a few special treats for you. Um, I'm also testing out the uh, the soundboard, because I haven't actually used that in a while, um, and since the upcoming Sydney, Sydney Lumet episode of Directors Club is going to have two guests on, um, which requires three microphones, I figured I'd give the old soundboard out and dust it off and give it a go. And why not have an excuse to um, talk with you guys and present some some, some interesting items um, that I've uncovered in the hard drive. Um, but up at the top, I also want to say please subscribe to the show in iTunes since it now doesn't just exist in the Director's Club RSS feed as kind of a bonus. It has its own um, RSS feed. So subscribe to Pop Culture Club in iTunes or however else you listen to podcasts. Um, but yes, obviously, once again, I did crisscross them and put them in both feeds, but that is going to stop, I promise. Um, I think I've said that many times before, so um, hopefully I don't go back on my word many, many more times. And since there's a full-length movie review coming up with a former Director's Club guest for this episode, as indicated in the title... I decided to include this bonus episode in both feeds. Um, so it seemed to make sense, to, you know, to if you're interested in hearing about a new release and you're a fan of Director's Club, why not? Why not give this episode a go, especially if you've seen The Witch? But also visit nowplayingnetwork.net to hear Jim Hankey's excellent music interview-based podcast, Vinyl Emergency. Loving every episode, and honestly, the more that uh, he puts out, the better the show gets. Um, so please, do subscribe to his show, check it out, leave a review on iTunes for him as well. Please check out Eric Childress's Movie Madness, where he reviews new releases, analyzes the box office, interviews guests, a um, whole lot more stuff there. So, uh Yeah. Honestly, I could not be happier to have them both on board the network. So I've sort of kickstarted yet another side project, being a podcast consultant and network founder of sorts. Um, so this has been great. Now Playing Network is going strong, and I'm looking forward to putting out a couple more shows, hopefully within the year. As for this show, um, it is going to hopefully return as a bi-weekly um, side project it sort of became the spin-off show from Directors Club, and I would like to have more interviews to come here with musicians, actors, and directors. At least that's the goal. And for this cornucopia of an episode, I wanted to start out um, up front here with some various gems I uncovered in the hard drive, like I mentioned, including a bit um, right at the top of what I've been doing on WGN for the past six weeks or so. And obviously, I'm not going to play uh, an entire podcast episode of Nick DeGilio show in its entirety. I wouldn't dare do that. In fact, I think it's not copyrighted or whatever, but I want you to get a sense of what Nick DeGilio's movie review show is like so you can subscribe to his podcast and check out his new releases, I mean, his his movie Monday movie review segment um, with Eric Childress and Colin Suter, if you're interested in that. Um, every every, every um, Sunday night into Monday morning, you know, obviously it's on WGN Radio Live at 2 a.m., but you can also just subscribe to the podcast and hear um, movie reviews of new releases. So I've been doing that for the past six months um, in addition to Director's Club, and it's been kind of fun. 
And I thought I'd share uh, one review um, with you here in this um, sort of pinata of sound clips and whatnot. Um, and also my time doing that is coming to an end at the beginning of March because Colin Suter will be returning. And uh, he did a great job on the George Miller episode. Um, his vacation is about to close out. And uh, it was it was an honor to fill in and, um, you know, do what he does so well. But obviously it's not always easy when you have to sit through movies like The Forest. Um, and after that, quick review from uh, my segment uh, on WGN Radio. It's going to transition into an older segment I found on a cassette tape. So you might get a kick out of that. It's when I'm talking about like songs that you can't escape or something along those lines. That was I don't even know what year that's from. But that was also from Nick DiGiulio's show. And there's a couple of other random bits before we get to the meat of this episode, which is the main review the uh, crux, the reason why um, this is even out, it is really revolving around this fantastic horror film called The Witch with uh, guest Nat Elmeral, who Skyped in with me here. And if you have not seen The Witch, please try your best to see it in the next week or two. Come back, listen to our interpretation of the film, because it is the review we got coming up um, in a bit here is chock full of spoilers. So definitely go check it out. I highly recommend it. Off the top, I loved it. Um, we, uh, Me and Nat had, had a great time talking about what I think is one of the best films of the year and probably will make my list at the end of the year, possibly. Who knows? So far, it's you know slim pickings out there, so maybe it just stands out above the crowd. Um, but with all that aside, I hope you enjoy this buffet of audio clips and you know official episodes of Pop Culture Club with interviews are on the docket in, in the works. But for now, on with the festivities. Thank you so much for listening, um, and I hope you enjoy the review of The Witch with Nat. I thought it went great. So thanks again, guys, and enjoy. Jim, tell us about The Choice. Oh, God. Speaking (laughs) of scary. Now, I didn't see uh, this. You guys took the bullet on this one. Yeah. Yep. Okay, go Uh, ahead. The latest Nicholas Sparks adaptation tells, uh, surprise, surprise, a complicated love story between Travis, played by Benjamin Walker. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt, Jim. I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I, okay. I was just looking at the cat. Tom Wilkinson is in this. Yep. Yeah. What the, the hell, truth. man? All right. I'm it was sorry. The same reaction I had when I saw him show up in the movie. Yeah, and then the yep. and, the, and the, then the hot chick from True Detective is in it. Yep. What the oh, hell, man? And the other girl. Oh, that's right. Oh man. Okay. All right. Yep. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> So Travis is a smooth-talking veterinarian. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, how many times have we heard that as a setup for a movie? The old, yep. sm- the old smooth-talking veterinarian. Okay, that's right. And uh, Gabby is um, played by Teresa Palmer from Warm Bodies, who I really liked in that movie. I did too. Uh, and and here she's an uptight, career-focused medical student. Um, Travis and Ga- and Gabby begin as neighbors, and of course their meet-cute is precipitated by Travis playing his music a little too loudly while Gabby is studying, and, you know, her reaction kind of sets the tone for the relationship throughout the film. It's just overreacting and very emotional. She kind of just jumps down his throat with her grievances, Um, but after 
Travis helps her through a pet-related emergency. They start to bond a bit more through interacting and, uh, you know, deep discussions about God. And, you know, the, the speed with, their, with which their relationship progresses is just, oh, boy, it's incredibly forced and, and very quick. Early on, there are um, glances from Travis's sister, played by Maggie Grace, in a horrible brunette wig, who, um, you know, utters very unsubtle lines like, uh-oh, you just met your wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she's only just seen this couple interact maybe once or twice. And, you know, as you mentioned, Tom Wilkinson's plays uh, Travis's father. There's also Gabby's wooden doctor boyfriend, who is essentially cheated on uh, late, later on, and conflict arises. You know, in the end, this is just a Nicholas Sparks movie through and through, stripped of energy and genuine passion, but replaced with that sort of paperback romance novel perspective that I can't find anything to latch on to in this world it it felt it felt so long I, I i could barely handle it and the only time this formula has worked for me is is with the notebook um and although honestly i haven't sat through many of these films i just kind of get the impression that they're pretty much all the same every character is very agreeable and pleasant and good looking and you know lives inside this fantasy world that kind of becomes laughable with the cliche dialogue and then the inevitable medical diagnosis. Um, so, yeah, it's just, I mean, very little happens that's exciting, and you know exactly where it's going. I mean, maybe the last 20 minutes something kind of happens, but even that's ludicrous. It looks like a commercial for antidepressants, the way it's shot. Um, it's just... It's just another cornball romance with love, death, and dogs. Mm. <laughs> so I found it to be a complete waste of time. Okay. Um, yeah. All right, uh, Eric? Yeah. Uh, well, it's kind of apropos that Jim actually didn't mention what precisely the choice is actually in the movie. Uh, because uh, if you've seen the trailer for the movie, you know what what this film is actually leading up to. And it does have a kind of a flashback structure that suggests the you know the medical issue that uh, is forthcoming at some point uh but when it comes down to the eventual making of said choice uh this is this guy does not even have to do it uh the movie makes the choice for him so the movie the the, the title itself is actually a lie um, in fact, the biggest choice he seems to have in the entire movie is whether or not to hook up with Teresa Palmer or Alexander Daddario, to which every guy in the audience should go, oh, poor guy. Yeah. That, you know, <laughs> this, this guy's got a real, you know, a real, what a choice this guy has to make. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and like you said, Jim, I mean, like the idea that, to me, you know, it's, it's one thing to have a movie like, say, like Terms of Endearment, that introduces its cancer subplot as part of a, uh, you know, a roundabout story about an entire life, you know, going from, you know, you know one, one, one spectrum to the other and covering a, a, an enormous amount of years. And I'm sure that's probably the excuse a lot of people give with The Notebook. Uh, but with Nicholas Sparks' movies, and I include The Notebook in that, the way he sort of utilizes tragedy and basically becomes like tragedy porn in a way, in that the way he just sort of sneaks it in there as a way to provide, you know, necessary conflict and tears, especially when you're dealing with something as 
really hard to deal with, like, say, Alzheimer's in the notebook, yeah. or in here that eventually comes down to euthanasia. This is not a spoiler. This is in the trailer. Um, when you have a, 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 a real decision like that and leave it in the hands of, you know, dialogue that doesn't even come close to sort of, you know, masking, you know, even in sort of a spiritual sense, the idea that, you know, God may be dictating your choices or that you have to look to God in times of tragedy. The, the movie, you know, doesn't even come close to even succeeding on the level of, you know, the, the, all the, the faith-based movies that we've been seeing more and more of. It doesn't really even have the guts to go that way. And you mentioned how, I mean, the film is shot, uh, Jim, but also the way the movie is actually so poorly edited that there's a, there's a section of the movie that, it, it, it's so poorly edited that there's there's a suggestion that he may have, that the this Benjamin Walker guy, the main guy, may have actually been responsible for the actual tragedy uh, that befalls you know one of his love you know his lovers. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> like you know because he gets to a point where he's visiting her in the hospital and he says I've got this choice. You know it's the kind of movie that opens with you know dialogue like you know life is full of choices. You know, this sort of yeah. this really pathetic Forrest Gump-like uh, logic. And he gets to the hospital bed, like, I've got a choice to make. I don't know what kind of new truck i got to buy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> considering that he was in a truck, she was in a car, a truck blindsides her. And, you know, that, that's what I'm saying. This, this movie is, is evil garbage, is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely evil garbage. Um, you, you can have fun watching this movie with people who recognize it's evil garbage and throw verbal tomatoes at it, like a couple of us were doing at the screening the other night um, that made it more tolerable than another film we're about to review. But uh, but it, it's evil garbage, and that's my, that's my review. Okay. All right, the choice. Uh, you know, it's interesting that um, this – the 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 lead in this movie played Abraham Lincoln in Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, uh, mm-hmm. considering the movie mm-hmm. that we're going to review after the break. Yep. Um, so, all right, <laughs> all right. Uh, the, well, evidently you shouldn't see this movie, and uh, evidently we'll do the box office later. Uh, Eric, we'll cover the box office later. Evidently nobody did. Yeah. Thank okay. goodness. God bless America. All right. Hold yeah. on, you guys. <laughs> okay, I'm looking at your list. This next one, I I have I have voted. In the past, uh, uh, could quite possibly be the worst song of all time. No, I totally agree. I, I, this is go, go ahead, Jim. Tell her. I, I personally think this is the worst song ever. And it's and it's probably because I Dude, mean, see if we've got this, Andy. I, I just wow. I I can't believe. Like, what grocery store would want to play this song over and you over? You know which one, Andy? Do you see where we're at? Do you have the list? I misplaced it. Okay, it's it, it. Go ahead and say it. Ain't nothing gonna break my stride. Matthew Matthew Wilder's "Ain't Nothing Gonna Break My Stride." I, I would like if we can find that because I would just like to play a little bit of it, just to analyze the crappiness. Wow! Because it is seriously, it could possibly be the worst song that's ever been recorded. Yeah, it, I don't know what I don't know what you could. Was there a music video for that? What was the guy doing? I, I can't remember the music okay. video for it because I just think of like this crazy stone white Jamaican trying to make it I, on the floor at the New York Stock Exchange or something. Yeah. I like, can't. I don't know, man. I don't even know. I can't even. I can't even. I, it's ridiculous. All right, next. Okay. Uh, doubles, Captain of Her Heart. Now, see, I don't know this song. Should uh, I know this song? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Captain of Her Heart. Yeah, it's terrible. It's the most repetitive yeah. use of a title of a song oh, that's for right. yeah. ever. Okay. All right, and then the next. Come on, Eileen. Yeah. Which, that's kind of obvious. Yeah. All right, next. Lone Stars. 
a maze, which has been played at every single wedding in the universe. Yeah, that's true. And it's a total ripoff of Brian Adams' Please Forgive Me, if anyone ever wants to compare and contrast. It's yep. the exact same song. Okay, next. Shania Twain's Man, I Feel Like a Woman. Although I love the commercial where the guy's in the truck yeah. with the other guys, and he's singing along with that. That's, that's the, right. the best also, use of that song ever. I also, I also think of, now I think of the warden from Shawshank Redemption dancing to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, next. Uh, Paul Young's Every Time You Go Away. Mm-hmm. You take a you take a piece of meat with mm, you. Mm. Um, Backstreet Boys. <laughs> yeah, I want it that way. Right. Sarah McLaughlin. God, I, oh, yeah. I'm so done with her. Yeah. Um, Fallen. Yeah. This uh, song. This next song. I just want to. Oh my God. Maroon Five. Ball peen hammer into yeah. my temple. Yeah. That's the only solution to that. That this Maroon Five guy. It's got to stop. I'm telling you, Maroon Five. This love. Yeah. I would let you, ball peen hammer. To my skull. Yeah, I wanted to be nice to your caller. Not no, I know. I didn't say anything either, but I can't. That band is just, that band is wrong. Right. Okay, next. Bare Naked Ladies. I still can't believe I hear this song It's been one week since you called me. <laughs> Come on, man. And you know, the, the references, Leanne Rhymes and X-Files, it's yeah. like, man, when they were recording that, didn't they, did they think that was going to have longevity no, or exactly. something? No, exactly. It's ridiculous. Okay, yeah. next. I don't want to wait. Paula Coles, I don't want to wait. The Dawson's Creek anthem <laughs> I from got hell. A, a very uh, interesting story. I was at the, the Chicago Theater when she was appearing with uh, Dido. Yeah. And oh uh, I had gone to the men's room, and there was somebody else in there washing their hands, singing, I don't want to wait for your songs to be over. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and the last one? Surprise Weird Al didn't do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Air Supply. All out of love. There you go. All out of love. Yeah, brilliant, those are all. Brilliant, brilliantly used in happiness. Yep. I can believe I can fly. Dancing queen, my heart will go on. Ain't nothing going to break my stride. Captain of her heart. Come on, Eileen. Amazed. Man, I feel like a woman. Uh, every time you go away, I want it that way. Fall on this love. One week, I don't want to wait. And all out of love. Those are the 15 re- songs that refuse to die, according to Jim. And uh, according to Jim, not according to Jim Belushi. Hold on a minute now. Oh, man. Uh, so there you go. But now the phone lines are open. 312-591-7200. What are you guys, what are your choices for the songs that simply refuse to die? Or the most annoying songs. Yeah, really, most know? annoying songs that you hear over and over and over and over and over. Every time you hear them, you want to put your foot through a radio or a TV or a speaker at a, at a Jewels. i got to tell you, I'm getting real tired of Eric Clapton. Yeah, me yeah. too. Well, I've been tired of him for a while. And now. I feel bad because... That's how I got my middle name. I'm, you know, I was named after James Taylor and I got my middle name from Eric Clapton. Oh, but, wow. But, you know, at least it was the time when Eric Clapton was cool. Right, so exactly. That's how I can look exactly. at it. Exactly. Uh, yeah, Jim Laskowski, Jim the Music Freak, always a cool guy. Check out his website. He writes a lot of stuff. He's really cool. He's a sweetheart. And he's a really smart guy when it comes to music and movies and stuff. So, jameslaskowski.com. Oh, my God. It's totally warped. And so is the record. Wow. Sounds pretty good now. Yeah, it might sound a little better. <laughs> it's not the right speed, is it? Yeah. <laughs> Bridges version. Is there somebody that uh, keeps you going? I would just say that person be it could be your mother, it could be somebody in the family, it could be your your fellow uh, podcaster. Yeah, and you know it's hard to just pin it down to one person because obviously 
my uh, my late great father, you know, he 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 left me way too young at the age of 52, and that's it's it's really hard to process and deal with, but at the same time, he um, he imparted so much good, and uh, you know, left me with a lot of emotional intelligence and the ability to um, connect with people in a meaningful way. So my 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 dad Mike, he is you know as far as I'm concerned, the greatest inspiration in my lifetime and always will be. Um, but like I mentioned earlier, Nick DiGiulio of WGN Radio is still to this day my favorite talk show radio host because, um, you know, he, he, he sort of just showed me how you can talk about movies in an entertaining way, but also look at them differently as an art form and sort of step back and kind of how people approach paintings and in an art museum sort of dissect them a little bit and figure out what makes them what they are. Um, so to this day, he's, he's still going strong. He, he, he's been doing talk radio since I think 1985. And, uh, you know, he's, he's the best. And anyone, any, anyone who, you know, loves good old fashioned talk radio should be listening to WGN radio. And it's been an honor to actually guest on his show for the past like six weeks or so I've been reviewing new movies on, on his radio show. So people can check out WGN radio as well. So like, I, yeah, Nick DiGiulio and my dad, as well as way too many podcasts that I subscribe to, including one based out of Canada actually called film junk, which um, I, I can't recommend enough. I mean, they're, they, you know, they, they get a little goofy and they're, you know, they have some naughty words here and there, but they're they're a lot of fun and uh, they talk about movies sometimes for two hours or, or more. So I mean, th- they're also a huge reason why I got into the podcast game. So I can't uh, I can't thank those guys over at FilmJunk.com enough as well. So those are the three big right. ones that come off the top of my head. And I love how you uh, talk about your dad and how you were saying that about uh, emotional intelligence about your grandfather. This is beautiful, and uh, I can I can feel your emotion right now when you talk about them. And even uh, Nick DiGiulio, which is you know has been doing so many things. But I think I've heard of him a, a long time ago. But I think I have to go back to uh, WGN and and. Uh, uh, have a, a review of what uh, what his show is all about. So, do you watch a lot of movies? I mean, you probably are in the theater every day, or how, how does that go? Oh my goodness! I yeah, I I watch way too many movies. I mean, it's it's sort of come down to a routine of uh, you know work a day job, come home, have dinner, and then watch two movies before I go to bed if I can. And that's almost on a daily basis <laughs> because like not only am I having to watch new movies this past six weeks, but I also watch movies for director's club in which I talk about one director per episode for that podcast. So like if we're talking about Alfred Hitchcock, um, you know, I have to watch some of the classics from Alfred Hitchcock and he's made quite a few movies. So it's, it's not easy to fit everything in. Um, a lot of people often ask, like, when do I sleep? And, uh, you know, I managed to yeah. sleep in six to seven hours. Um, <laughs> amazingly so. I managed to, you know, sneak in some sleep here and there. But uh, overall, I am i couldn't be happier with the way things are going and how my life has turned out. And I do have podcasting to thank, you know, to thank that for. So. Right, right. 
and, and I don't know how 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 a big of a critic you are of the movie and the actor itself, or or into the directors and uh, how they decided to. And, and uh, honestly, this is something that is out of my expertise. I I love I love movies, but I have a certain genre that I love to go by. Uh, Jim, I think time is just running by. I, I, it was a pleasure and an honor to speak with you and to talk about your career, to talk about your dreams, to talk about how much you love to podcast, how many things that you're involved with, and and how amazingly you you are generous and giving op- opportunities to people that some, in a way, if it wasn't for you, they probably wouldn't have this opportunity. This is beautiful. This is amazing. This is great. And I need to applaud. <laughs> I, I found it hilarious that John Mahoney was billed as the Prowler representative. <laughs> yeah, and Chuck Norris, he couldn't remember his lines, and Chuck said to me, where'd you get this guy? <laughs> oh, my God, that's crazy. Oh, it's yeah. just cool to you know see all those great Chicago character actors pop up in, in all of your films. And this, I'm a huge fan of like Joe Pontoliano, too, obviously. Yeah. So He's coming to the screening tonight, tomorrow in L.A. <sighs> that's great. <And> it's, yeah. <laughs> Because it was, I mean, I thought like Tommy Davison was really bad. I thought Sandra Bernhardt was really annoying. Um, I think it was, was it Dan Castellaneta was annoying. Like, it was just this weird kind of dumb comedy. And it seemed to be just like, I don't know. It, it just felt like a bunch of pointless scenes just parodying other movies and stuff. Um,. Yeah, I thought it was pretty bad. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not at all a fan of plump fiction. <laughs> Hello? Hi. I find interesting. What's that? Witches. Oh. Hello, everyone. This is the Pop Culture Club podcast, and I'm about to review the highly anticipated Sundance Smash from last year. It's finally come out. It's called The Witch. Spoilers, everybody. So I recommend you coming back to this conversation after you've seen the film and I didn't want to do this alone. So I texted a compadre and fellow podcaster, um, whom I I realized, Oh shit, I was supposed to see this movie with him. And I, I do apologize, but he's one of many intelligent men from still watching the skies where, which you can find over at where the long tail ends.com. And of course he's appeared on director's club about three times now, I believe, please welcome Nat. Elmerall. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jim and the audience. It's a pleasure to be here again. I'm and sure everybody's clapping in their cars, on the train, <laughs> wherever they're listening to right now. Well, you know, whenever I appear on Director's Club, I make an ass of myself at least once per episode. So hopefully I can, I can keep that record going through this pop culture club. 
Well, I, I do in the form of puns. And uh, I, I mean, I, I would, I, I'm, not, I'm not about to say anything derogatory about Patrick because I love him. And he kind of does all that on his own. Hey, puns are, puns are the highest form of humor. I think so. They, they just have to be good. Um, you know, recently I went on a first date and one pun, home run. The other, I was like, God <laughs> damn it. Really? But, yeah, it, it was a fail, but she smiled at, it, at its failure. Thankfully. Well, well, but she knows you tried. Of course. And she knows you have a sense of humor. Yes. Yes. So, and that's, that's really the important thing. So, speaking of sense of humor, <laughs> the witch. Yes. Also known as the Vivitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those two Vs there will throw you off. Um, you know, it's already being kind of dismissed as overrated and... Uh, general audiences are turning on it. The cinema score is pretty, pretty low at C-. minus, um, And the audience I saw it with kind of scoffed during the closer credits, like, Psh, <laughs> I don't know what that was all about. Um, and even my cousin who sat next to me in, in a seat that was pretty much the size of an airplane seat. Um, it, it was actually bigger but and wider it was just it was crazy big the seat um like i've been to theaters where they do have the recliner type seats now but this one was just like huge and it makes noise when you recline it mm-hmm. and it would, you know every time you adjust your seat or anytime anybody adjusts their seat it makes a noise that um people can hear with the human ear anyway <laughs> i usually hear with my nose but yeah i That's can true. understand that yeah so, m- my audience actually had a similar reaction too like very mm-hmm. cool and receptive you could kind of feel the tension building but it may not necessarily have been related to the movie it's uh <laughs> i think we can both agree this is a pretty slow burn yes um but i guess before before even that um one of us should probably do a quick little plot synopsis, which will be easy because there's not that much to synopse. But uh, yeah, people are used to hearing me talk too much. Why don't you go for it? <laughs> I mean, okay. but also people have seen it at this point. But why not just to refresh the memory of the audience of what they experienced? Or in case they're just being naughty and listening ahead anyway. <clears throat> but. But the Vivitch or Witch takes place, um, I don't think they specify the year, but you can pretty much gather that it's sometime in the 17th century mm-hmm. in New England, um, America, New England, that is. And it deals with a family, a Puritan family that's expelled from the, I guess, uh, Puritan plantation or I guess uh, the nearest settlement. Um, generally, or at least from what I gather, because the father has some issues with the church, as you will, and takes expulsion over um, apologizing. And I don't think they actually go into any detail specifically on what he um, disagrees with the church about. Uh, yeah. But he takes his family, which includes his wife, uh, an oldest daughter, a middle son, and two twins, a boy and a girl, um, and eventually a baby, and they move kind of to the outskirts of the settlement, or at least far enough away from it that it's, um, you know, it's not so far as that you can't get to it, but it's far enough away that 
it's still a pain to get there. And they kind of uh, built their own little house next to some ominous-looking woods. And one day, while the oldest daughter is out tending to uh, the newest son, she's playing a game of peekaboo with him. And, of course, he goes missing. And they begin to suspect that there is a witch in the woods. Um, and it kind of plays out like its own little mini crucible uh, with some mm-hmm. touches of of uh, like ordinary people in there. Um, there's like a part procedural of it where they you kind of get a, an idea of like what life during this time was. Uh, hint, there's a lot of farming um, and some hunting as well. And I think they, they do reveal fairly early on that uh, there is indeed a witch in these in these woods. Um, but there's still a lot of insinuation as to um, which people, if any, within the family um, are aligning with this witch or maybe causing some mischief of their own. Um, and also just want to call out the dialogue, too. And it is very, uh, very period appropriate. Yeah, at the absolutely. very at the very end of the film, they say uh, much of the dialogue was taken from actual accounts at the time. Yeah, um, which I, I think fits a lot of these and those, um, but it's still fairly uh, modern English, and it's not it's not overly thick and dense and difficult to wrap your head around. Uh, kind of like um, you know, like an early '90s Coen Brothers film. The one thing uh, I I noticed, I was paying very close attention to uh, like especially a scene where the father is talking to the son and i don't know if it was like the sound mix in the theater was was poor but i just found myself i have to listen very attentively to what they're saying mm-hmm. and it, it probably just because i found it so compelling but i think i did find it challenging to make out a few words here and there to where if I was at home, I might have just thrown on the subtitles a couple of times, just so I grasped everything that they were saying. Um, but I mean, in terms of context, I picked up on specifically what they were saying and what they were feeling in that moment, even if I couldn't understand every single word. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's not. It's not really. It's not really a chore either. No, like it, I mean, there are some, um, like you said, pronunciations. They are. They have British accents. Yeah. Um, they're played by British people uh, for the most part. And um, I think it's also turns of phrases, you know, like the modern sure. or the lingo of the 17th century. Obviously, it's going to be very biblical. Um, the references are pretty much going to be limited to biblical references. And even if you don't have that much of a biblical education like myself, uh, it's not uh, it's not that difficult to pick up from context. I mean, I think I think they do a really, really good job of keeping it realistic, not overly ornate or flowery and not so dense as you can understand it. So it's, um, a treat, I think at times too. Um, and like you said too, even if it is difficult to make out precisely what, uh, you know, a specific sentence or word that's being said context, um, it's very easy to figure it out from context. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that is, um, that this is a really well shot movie. (laughs) Um, probably should also say both of us liked it too. <laughs> so, holy Christ! Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm. I'm going to be fascinated to hear what the. I mean, I'm already getting the impression, like I said at the top, that it's not going to be universally loved. Um, 
Nor should it. And no, I, it, it's almost designed to be um, divisive. Not in the same way as Blair Witch Project, but I'm getting similar vibes where I was like, I, I saw a lot of brilliance in the experience that I had, and a lot of people are like, what's the big deal? Uh, you know, it was just the ending. There was just a witch. Okay, that's it. Um, and even my cousin was like, that wasn't that scary. I was surprised that it wasn't that scary. Um, I found it to be incredibly tension inducing and I full of dread. And the score was so Kubrickian at times with the strings and the choir at mm-hmm. a very high piercing volume. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. it would just cut to black. Um, that kind of stuff just works on sort of like a subconscious level for me. Yeah, like that, like the opening of 2001. Yeah. Um, or even like the opening at maybe of something like The Exorcist. Um, where um, either way, it's just those strings that are held and get, you know, the, it just gets higher and higher and higher and higher. And even though you can, um, you can cut to like a slightly different scene, um, it still just holds that and holds that. And then just boom. <laughs> it goes silent and it does go silent for long portions of the movie too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think especially in those early scenes, it does that. Um, I, I wouldn't say I was, I was exceedingly scared. I just, um, I just really thought this family dynamic was very, very interesting. And I, I will say too, yeah. even though the audience I saw it with didn't seem that receptive to it, you know, there were only a handful of people in the theater and I mean, it still felt like, these people knew what they were getting into. Um, there wasn't like, you know, somebody at the end, you know, when the lights go up and it's like, well, that's a piece of crap. It was just kind of, huh? Okay. Like, <laughs> is that all there is? It's I don't of, know. I, I don't know. I, I was kind of getting that <clears throat> vibe really. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they were just expecting an unconventional shocking twist and, or something just, you know, that I even think like the last act the way people it was built up initially, like oh my god, it gets really fucked up and crazy, and it, it definitely there's definitely shocking moments. There's definitely, um, you know, uh, just r- like sequences, you know, <laughs> particularly involving the goat, where I was just like, whoa, uh, yeah, that came out of nowhere. Um, the hand from the witch when she yeah. grasped the sun. Um, does it, uh, thankfully, it doesn't dwell in that jump scare territory as much as something like Insidious or The Forest, which we saw together, um, yeah. did. I think it, it holds them fairly close. And when they do deliver, it does have significance rather than just a mindless scare. Like, those are extremely important points of the plot when they when they occur. Now, I have to admit, I'm kind of biased. I, for one, find Satanism and the Salem Witch Trials all that kind of terrifies me. I, I, I just feel like the uh, scapegoating, no pun intended, um, just that aspect, whether it's, you know, exists today, I'm sure it does. Obviously it exists today. Uh, but to the extreme that it occurred back then and, you know, the fact that people can get that wrapped up in evil 
really just um just terrifies me. I think that's why movies about cults, just the idea of being um that vulnerable to where you're essentially brainwashed into a collective that serves, you know, uh, an evil purpose of sorts. Um, mm-hmm really just gets under my skin you know and it, it, it's not something i've ever experienced it's not something i don't i don't know anybody who's been through it it's just the idea of it en- is enough to kind of set me on edge for pretty much the entire movie and on top of that you're right the family dynamics are incredible it's it is very crucible it has a little bit of bergman going on um and just like, I mean, part of me is like, yeah, this probably could be a play with, you know, how the family interacts together and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe the, the last act or so would be kind of difficult to pull off on a stage, but favorite horror movies of mine sort of take what feels safe and twists it around mm-hmm. like sex in It Follows, Dreaming, and Nightmare on Elm Street. Here, it's a family's religious faith and the filmmakers here sort of weaponize that. Um, you know, it's uh, th- those things that people take for granted, you know, and that as long as they believe, then good things will come. You know, it's not necessarily that's a naive thing to adhere to. I know, you know, many, many people who believe in a higher power and good things do happen and they do believe in the power of prayer and they turn to it and, and feel connected um, in some way. So, no, that's obviously. that's interesting. Um, sorry, were you finished or? No, I mean, I, I was just saying, like, obviously, that's not the case here. Where? Oh, okay, okay, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, you know, where where it's just like, okay, they they certainly have this strong conviction and belief. They say their prayers, but you can't escape what's out there. It's coming for you, <laughs> regardless of your beliefs. But at the same time, the movie does open with sort of. Um, being ostracized, being you know uh, shunned and cast out, um, out of society. Mm-hmm. So maybe we're not meant to know why they they are not um, you know staying in town, being a part of the collective anymore. You know, I think a lot of it has to do with the father's pride, perhaps, because that comes up quite a bit, and he even sort of. Um, at one point breaks down and says it is his all this is his fault, mm-hmm. which is interesting. I mean, they're just scene after scene. Like, I know people, it is a slow burn, and I know a lot of people get restless throughout this movie. I was consistently compelled and mm-hmm. mostly on edge. And even a scene that could have played as a cliche, like when, when the son is essentially possessed and acting out, I, I was... Ugh, I was grabbing my seat. I really was. I was affected by it. And I've seen that scene in I don't know how many movies at this point. But it, it, because I had so much invested in these characters, I guess, you know, on an emotional level, it worked for me. Big yeah. I, okay, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I very much agree. I think um, just the note I get from this film or the tone I get from it is just desperation and constant desperation. And I think, um, you know, when you see a movie, uh, especially a horror movie, but I think any movie that deals with, um, very evangelical religions, um, particularly something, you know, 
that would take place in America in the 17th century, I would expect the characters to be fairly one-dimensional or that they, yeah. uh, their personality is, is more or less defined by religion. Um, and here, I think that the comparison to the Crucible is very apt, too. Um, you know, Not just the witch thing, but also that uh, the accusations have a merit other than simply it being evil. Um, you know, in the Crucible, it's uh, the gal wants to sleep with John or Proctor or whatever. Um, and in here, it's um, I think it's just uh, it, for religion or even for the witch, it's kind of um, I don't want to be the one that's accused. I don't want to be put in this position. Um, you know, I believe in God because that's the only thing I have to hold on to. Like, you know, my crops have failed me. I've lost children. I'm ostracized from the village. I have no money. You know, my, my kids are too young to have anything uh, to be able to do anything. And I have to figure out what I'm going to do with my daughter. And then I have to find a way for my son. It's just, there is, there is no hope here other than religion. And I think that's so much more accurate um, for this time, that it really is something that, you know, you have no other options or you need that little bit of hope is something to hold on to. Um, and I think so many characters in this movie, um, like they do need that one thing to hold on to, whether it's, um, something that could be fairly benign, like religion, or if it's, um, blaming someone else for, for all their evils, uh, or for all the evils that beset them, um, that they just get kind of tripped up in that. I think the movie goes out of its way to kind of point that out. I think, um, you know, when you said pride um, is kind of the reason, you know, we don't know the specific um, consequences or the specific series of events that led to them being ostracized, but I think you do get the idea that it's the father's pride that really, whatever it is, that's kind of what led to it. Um, And they do go out of their way to show him as um, as a very fallible guy, but a guy who really loves his family and not like a overly stern Bible beating father. Patriarch. Yeah. Um, or even the mother who it kind of, you know, again, it, <laughs> it it's almost like 17th century ordinary people where the mother <laughs> hates the daughter. But um, but even then, you know, she's revealed to uh, to be like she was under the misapprehension that the daughter committed this one, you know, that she was the one who sold the silver goblet um even though she didn't and the daughter was covering up for the father and and then she apologizes to her later in the film and and then even still they get into it again but um but it's just i i just really like that this movie um doesn't take the easy way out for the family relationships and uh, and again that's the thing i really get out of this movie i'm not going to pretend i know uh, precisely what it's all about or what the director's really going for. But the thing that, again, I do appreciate about it is that um, this is a family drama just in uh, rather peculiar circumstances. Yeah, I, I just wonder, and I was going to throw this question at you regardless, um, is the actual witch necessary to this story because that seems to be something I'm reading in reviews that are critical. Maybe they're more, you know, mixed on it, but they obviously come to, they they come to the conclusion that this movie should just be about the family dynamics and the paranoia that ensues and make it more ambiguous as opposed to like, okay, we're going to show you exactly what's causing this. And pretty early on, how would you feel if, you know, there was no witch at all. Um, I, I don't think it would affect my viewing of it that much. Um, 
I, I mean, the film makes it very fairly plain. It says in the subtitle that it is a folklore, like an American folklore, inspired by folklore tales. Um, and it's branding itself that way. And I think that in that sense, it's trying to be kind of overtly allegorical. So yeah. it can draw in supernatural elements or, um, or like coincidences or fantastic themes. And I think the moral still gets across. Like it's a moral uh, for a for folklore or a fable or whatever, I think is going to be fairly on the surface. And I don't think there's like that much really hidden in the character relationships that are important in this movie. Um, I mean, people are fairly straightforward with, you know, confessing their sins or revealing their motivations. And I don't think there's really, um, there's really too much buried beneath those motivations or any reason to suspect them of doing something other than what they're doing. So I think taking that supernatural element out of it, I don't know if it would really serve it that much um, because I don't, I don't think you need that much more uh, or I don't think you need a lot of subtlety for this kind of story. Yeah, that would, that makes sense to me. I, it's funny because like, I just, I sort of accepted it as I was watching it. I wasn't like, well, that seemed unnecessary to, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't, it doesn't distract from the film. No, no. I mean, would I have liked it if it had just been ambiguous and like, well, maybe the daughter was a witch or was not a witch. Who knows? I don't know how I'd feel about, you know, sort of the lack of resolution. Well, and, and on the flip side of it, um, I mean, having that supernatural element, I think makes it even bleaker because, (laughs) you know, I think it's fairly clear that God doesn't operate, at least in this environment or the environment that the family's in, but it's certainly truth that Satan does. So, you know, if you're going for something (laughs) that's bleaker or darker, um, I think removing that element would make it lighter. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Now for me, the ending of this movie is, is really fascinating because, um, as I was watching it, I was, I was conflicted by it. Like how, I mean, first of all, once pretty much everyone, everyone in the family except the daughter is, is killed, um, I was like, how the hell is this movie going to end? Is she just going to walk out into the woods and, you know, is it going to be left on this ambiguous note? I mean, how can you end this movie? Um, and I thought, it was, I thought it was incredibly effective and not a letdown to mm-hmm. end it the way it did because in some weird way it says a little bit about why terrorist organizations and extremist groups thrive <laughs> because like the daughter realizes that okay her family ostracized her and was in denial and didn't believe her and now there's no one left to turn to there's no hope so she ultimately decides that joining forces of evil is actually okay I mean, maybe it's a if you can't beat them, join them sort of mentality, but it was more or less thrusted into her based on all the trauma, based on everything that she went through, based on how her family turned on her and treated her and refused to believe that she wasn't a witch. You know, because, like, she's the character that holds it together as the family is eroding and, um, you know, conflicting constantly, but 
you know, she's mm-hmm. constantly getting the finger pointed at her. You're a witch. You're a witch. You know, the, the twins are saying, she's a witch. She's a witch. I don't know. I find it really um, fascinating to for her to ultimately choose to sell her soul to goat Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Which is handled surprisingly well, too. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I... <clears throat> I think it can also be read as like an act of defiance. Um, yeah. Maybe against her family, maybe against her environment, maybe against those bastards back in the settlement or the plantation. Um, I mean, she's obviously upset by her parents talking about how they're going to have to take her to town and find a husband for her or set her up in somebody's house. Um, and hmm. she is the one who kind of defiantly stays at the very beginning when they're expelled from the plantation. Um, oh yeah, good point. And you know, she's the one who's smiling at it. She doesn't seem to have that much of a uh, to have that much um, <laughs> compunction about uh, about abandoning God because it fears that out here in the wilderness, God has abandoned them. Um, and I think it goes back to she's her father's daughter. You know, there's that element of pride and and strength. And like you said, she is the one who's keeping it together. She's the one who's out there chopping wood. She's the one who's out there washing clothes or taking care of the kids or trying to mind the kids or leading the family in prayer or trying to keep the twins in line. Um, yeah. And it's kind of like, I'll screw this. I'm (laughs) going to be a witch. And you know, that lash out is of her hovering over the forest. Like she is the queen of the forest. Yeah. That's she's surviving by Mm -hmm. joining the wild essentially. Um, and hey, if you have the option of chopping wood and taking care of bratty kids all day or dancing with hot naked chicks, I know which one you would go for. Oh, no. Don't put me <laughs> in that position. I mean, I know, you know, S- S- Satan has the better, you know, iPod playlist. But, um. <laughs> Sympathy for the devil. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I know. It, it, it's just. But then again, God only knows. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, I think that's why it's like, it's gotten to the point where, um, being agnostic feels, uh, safer and, but at the same time, I'm always torn as like, well, it's kind of wishy-washy, Jim. You're not really, you know, jumping to either side or having strong conviction either way. But I'm also like, I don't know. I don't have the proof. (laughs) So... (laughs) I know it's like, that's kind of like my conviction is like, I don't have the proof to know either way. Mm-hmm. So well, that's, that's why it's easier to align with Satan, right? Because you do have the proof with him at least. Yeah. In this case. Yeah, for sure. Like if, if, if a black goat starts talking to me, um, and you know, it's like, Hey dude, you know, if you, you want a million dollars and, I don't know. That's see, the, but I just can't imagine that ever happening in reality. Regardless, but, but in this case, in the case of this film, it makes sense, and it's it's weird to think like maybe it's a strong feminist statement in the end because a lot of people are sort of automatically going to pro Satanism, which wasn't what really what I experienced watching the ending of this movie, but. You know, so I think so. Satanist groups are automatically going. This is a movie that's promoting what we believe at the end, and I'm like, that's I don't know. I <laughs> well, but I, I think Satanist, you know, uh, 
aren't murderous or generally don't right. try to be murderous in the they don't want to kill here. babies i i hope i i don't know if it would be female empowerment because i don't think um it seems I, like I, they're it. they're on fairly equal grounds to begin with and and the men are not particularly oppressive i don't think um i mean the father is yeah. more you know out there for for his weakness or being controlled by a woman um and his daughter calls him out on that. And yet, even then, the mother is not really, you know, particularly shrewish. She says specifically at one point, um, I'm sorry that you thought me a shrew and I didn't mean to be that. Um, again, it's like this. It's, it's a fairly well, I think, thought out and written family um, that the people are fallible people. Um, yeah, you can't automatically pigeonhole them and say like, oh, God, the mother is evil. The father is evil. Mm-hmm. They have these moments of frailty and fallibility and real human moments where you empathize rather than just go, man, that guy's an asshole. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he, he obviously he loves his children and he's not a complete dick. But at the same time, he is a victim of pride and fear. And, you know, it's like all all these instances when compassion and solidarity would strengthen this family, they do the opposite. And I think that's why a lot of families break apart. I mean, I think that's why a lot of sons and daughters run off and become rebellious. And I'm not saying that they all join ISIS, but they all do radical, crazy things in defiance based on how they're parents ultimately frowned upon maybe their changes or their choices and stuff and i think this film is kind of hinting at that i don't know if it's fully realized or if it's just me projecting um you know obviously i want to watch it again but you know i just think it's i think it's richer than people are giving it credit for i really do like i i I feel like okay it's i'm having the same feeling i did with it follows last year where People are just walking out of it and kind of going, "Yeah, that was that was fine for what it was, but it wasn't anything amazing." Like I'm I'm seeing that on Facebook now for this movie, and I'm just like, "Okay, well, there's going to maybe be one horror movie a year that I walk out and go, well, this is just practically damn near perfect, and it worked for me.'" Whereas everybody else is going to have a completely different experience, I think. I I suppose so. Um, I mean, it's it's ostensibly a horror movie that I think is really, really good to family relationships. Um, and, um, you know, we, we haven't even talked about the actors or the performances that much at all. Um, yeah, I, which I, I think are terrific. I don't, I wasn't familiar with, um, um, Anya Taylor joy who plays the, uh, uh, Thomason, the daughter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen her before. And I'm like, well, that's that's kind of a star making role for her right there. She's going to be probably going on to do some great things. She kind of looks like uh, Elle Fanning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's actually when I first saw the trailer, I was like, oh, cool, Elle Fanning is in this. But yeah, that was like, no, she has to be older, too old for this. (laughs) Um, And of course, uh, Ralph Innocent. Um, I I think I said this, but uh, or I said this to you, but. Prior to seeing this movie, it was not a good idea for me to rewatch the first season of the UK Office <laughs> because it's Chris Finch, Finchy. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and every time you know he's in a scene with a woman, I'm just expecting him to say, "While well, you're down there, love." But 
No, um, but he, I, I think he does a terrific job. Oh, yeah. Um, he's totally Absolutely. convincing. He's got the whole Jesus look going. Um, you know, <laughs> maybe maybe there's some hidden symbolism in there. Um, you know, I think the mother and her name is escaping me, but she's also in Game of Thrones, um, along with Ralph Ineson. Um But uh, and it has an awkward breastfeeding scene in that as well. Um, huh. <laughs> um, but I think too, the twins are fantastic in this. Yeah, they are just amazingly obnoxious and high pitched squeals and. Um, just completely ignoring everything that's happening around them and just in their own little world and never helping out with any of the chores. And, um, you know, if there, if there are evil, evil people in this, um, it's <laughs> the two youngest kids. Um, and I, I, I wonder, I, um, I asked you this too, but uh, I think we can toss it out there for the audience. So, the way the title is written is the witch, the VV instead of a W in witch or Vivich. So does that represent the two kids or perhaps more within line of the movie? Um, were the two kids in on it? That's this a good way? question. Do we, do we see their dead bodies? After- She's holding some clothes after he boards her up after he boards all of them up. Yeah. And he comes out there and all the sheep are disemboweled. Um, but I didn't see any bodies in there. Yeah. That's a good call. Maybe they were in cahoots with goat Satan. <laughs> maybe. You know, I'm convinced that maybe this director saw the Halloween episode of quantum leap because at one point, Satan appears, not only in the form of Dean Stockwell, but he appears in the form of a black goat. Well, goats are traditionally, you know, linked to Satan. Hmm. Okay. Well, like the whole pentagram thing? Yeah. Making the goat's head. Okay. Well. Beast and whatnot. I just want to tie everything back to Quantum Leap if possible. (laughs) Well, you know, how can you not? I mean, everybody wants to tie everything back to Star Trek. I understand that. But in my world, <laughs> I, I, I grew up worshipping you know, Sam and Al of Quantum Leap. Like those, those were my guys. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm actually you know, really compelled to watch the whole um, JFK time travel miniseries on Hulu based on you know, just, just seeing the parallels to some degree between what Sam Beckett did on Quantum Leap with JFK because he, there was a whole two part episode devoted to um, Sam Beckett leaping into Lee Harvey Oswald and uh, attempting to save JFK from the assassination. Well, if you'd watch the X-Files, you would know it's a cigarette smoking man who actually killed JFK of course. and Martin Luther King Jr. <gasps> My God. Yeah. It's all a conspiracy, <laughs> but it was Michael McKean who found Saddam Hussein in a nightclub. Um, I guess um, just uh, yeah let's wrap it up here with the witch sure so uh, I I did just want to bring this up did you notice a lot of sexual like frustration um, imagery in this like either overtly or subtly Uh, I mean at least there wasn't like a whole lot of male gaze but I mean there was the the brother you Mm -hmm. know obviously coming to his own 
with puberty and everything and noticing his sister mm-hmm. in certain aspects. And that was obviously a little disturbing and I was worried that it was going to get worse, but it's more hinted at. Um, did you sense that with the parents? Um, in a sense, um, you know, just to go back to the daughter, the mother does say that, you know, she's just had her first mark of womanhood. Uh, uh yeah. And she does get blood on her on a number of occasions in this movie, um, <laughs> and becomes a woman by joining Satan. But, um, like the whole wood chopping thing, um, definitely is shot like it's a sexual release release or at least every time the father is frustrated you know it's ah, fuck this family i'm going to have to chop some wood which <laughs> is totally like the uh you know i'm going to the bar for puritans of the 17th century new england um well, it'll be interesting to see if this director is the type to um you know during interviews i doubt he is most directors aren't t- the type to well, I meant the wood to represent the cock. Or, you know, like, to actually, you know, say, my movie is all about sexual repression or this mm-hmm. specific thing. Um, I think it's more about audience interpretation. I, I, I think so. But I, you know, I also think that it's, I'm perfectly fine for a movie to be a little bit more overt than... Um, then maybe you would expect like you know exceedingly deep or a-list picture to be um with like its metaphors its symbolism its allegory um or its or its message uh i mean i i i don't feel like there is so much more in this movie to explore and that's not um that's not a criticism of the film it's um, a little old-fashioned well, it's again, it's a folktale. It's yeah. going for something that is supposed to be fairly easy to understand, and it's a moral tale. Um, and, you know, a lot of these things don't end very, very well. Um, again, I, I think uh, this reminded me a lot of, of Nathaniel Hawthorne's Twice Told Tales or something like Young Goodman Brown, um, which I think it definitely would draw inspiration from. And there's a lot of those that end fairly bleak um and yeah there there's more going on than purely what's on the surface but it's not so subtle as you know something i would say maybe like a coen brothers film where it takes multiple 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 watches and you still may not be any closer to the deeper meaning of the film um yeah than you know your first time watch I, i think here you know there is a depth to it um but i think it it is wearing it a little bit closer, uh, maybe not totally on its sleeve, but but maybe to the elbow or so. And, you know, kudos to it for doing that. Yeah. I mean, it certainly is a film that hasn't left my mind and I'll be thinking about. But at the same time, I, I do think you can get a good sense of what it's trying to convey to its audience from a first viewing. Um, and... You know, like you mentioned, the fact that this is a folktale, there are references to Hansel and Gretel and Red Riding Hood. And, mm-hmm. you know, at one point... Elvira. <laughs> yeah. At one point, he, he, you know, the son spits out an apple. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, Snow White. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Big Bad Billy Goat. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's... Th- things that you come to expect... And maybe that's just it. Maybe people are, like, itching for 100% percent 
originality and maybe a Shyamalan like twist at the end. You know, maybe people are conditioned at that point at the you know at this point when they go into a horror film to genuinely be surprised at every turn or at least at the end walk out going oh my god i was not expecting that well but- and i you know i don't think the reaction from my audience was again outwardly hostile it was just misaligned expectations right more okay than I think anything I, yeah else. It's, it's a little more grounded than the way i'm presenting it but i yeah no i think that's that's very true but i think the mood of this movie the the score um, the performances, like cinematography, I, I mean, the set dressing, yeah. <laughs> like, the framing uh, of you know the, when the family is sitting in the dark and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just I felt I felt a lot of emotion watching this movie. Like I I felt really really sad when the sun passed, mm-hmm. uh, and it's like wow I'm feel I'm feeling a lot in the same way that I felt when I rewatched The Exorcist for the Friedkin episode. Like, when I was a kid, I sort of dismissed The Exorcist, and I don't know why it didn't scare me. But mm-hmm. rewatching it now, you know, having gone through crazy health scares and, you know, some depression and things that you couldn't easily explain, um, I was able to reframe The Exorcist and have a very personal experience with it Rather than just be like, oh, it's just a guy who's, you know, it's just a movie about a, a girl gets possessed by Satan and she's spitting up split pea soup and that's it. No, <laughs> there's, there's a lot going on. Um, and I like, I like the crisis of faith theme mm-hmm. throughout horror films in general mm-hmm. when it's challenged in some way. And this, you know, however you choose to frame the ending, I mean, I don't know if it's good or bad. And that's kind of what I like about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's, um, you know, at least, at least she's safe and the rest yeah. of her family is pretty much gone. Um, <laughs> you know, it, he, she signs the book, but uh, is that giving up her soul? Can you give up your soul or relinquish your soul in a world where God doesn't exist? Um, or, you know, the, I guess, you know, do you take a, uh, I forget what the uh, what the oldest son's name is, but you know, do you take his speaking in tongues, or, or rather his um, divine possession at the very end, to be an indication that there actually is a God and he's found salvation? Um, yeah, you know, and and like even even that first conversation that he has with his father when they're out hunting in the woods, I think it's just you know so well done and so indicative of the film because the entire time. It's fairly early in the film, but I'm expecting, you know, the father to slap the kid or to tell him we're not going to speak about this anymore. But the kid asks if his baby brother, who was taken away, was indeed killed. Does he go to hell because he was not baptized? And the father kind of, I don't really want to talk about this. And it's it's not, you know, so much a question of faith um, and that, you know, the father can't have his faith questioned or you don't question God um, that he's kind of refusing or being reluctant to answer. It's because it's, he doesn't want to talk about it. It's something that makes him uncomfortable too. And he doesn't want, uh, he doesn't want to make his son uncomfortable by not having an answer. Um, And this answer is kind of, you know, a decent way of putting it that it's a cop out, but it's, you know, God is the only one who can judge. 
and you know he will be able to differentiate from from what is right and what is wrong and just the way that that's delivered and performed and written um he's trying to convince himself as much as his son um it's just it's it's really really well done and um you know it's it's so much more thought put into that specific <clears throat> like religious discussion um than i would expect from like any horror movie yeah um no, totally. Or any movie, or most movies in general. It's, it's weird just... that I, I saw Risen and The Witch pretty much back-to-back, because one is a celebration of faith and optimism, and good things will come if you believe. Mm-hmm. And in this, the chaos of the world is inevitable. Almost like with a serious man, where you can have all this faith and conviction and you know, sort of try to seek out answers but in the end sometimes just the random chaos theory is going to invade your life and you have no control over it sometimes a tornado is going to appear sometimes cancer is going to appear mm-hmm. and you can you can you can have a strong belief in god and maybe that will you know keep you strong but it doesn't mean you're safe from the darkness <laughs> Or, or it's just. I think in a serious man, it's it's how do you interpret it? Yeah, you know? yeah is it yeah. a sign from God or is it a random chance? Um, yeah, is it a bribe a, yeah. or is it? Yeah, um, and and yeah. in here it may be a little bit more black and white because the uh, at least one of the main deities does show up. But mm-hmm. well, so uh, Jesus does show up in risen, and <laughs> it's no. it's basically like outright saying yeah. You know, uh, those Christians, thumbs up. They they were right about pretty much everything. They mm-hmm. they decide not to make it ambiguous in the slightest. Like it starts out really great in that it's kind of like a mystery. Um, it's almost like a procedural. Like, oh, did did this really happen? Where did his body go? Hmm. And you know, they're going around questioning believers and non-believers and. You know, it wasn't half bad for a while, but then it really becomes preachy. Is Kirk Cameron in this movie? I haven't heard of this yet. No, Risen has Joseph Fiennes, and the reason why I oh saw it, yeah, yeah 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 I saw it not just because I'm I'm reviewing it for WGN, but because Kevin Reynolds directed it, huh. and I kind of like Kevin Reynolds. Yeah. You know, I mean, I like his Count of Monte Cristo quite a bit. I like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah. So I mean. I was like, hmm, what's that I guy? I even like Tristan and Isolde. I didn't realize he did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's good, too. <laughs> a lot of his movies are good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Waterworld, take what you will. I mean, if you enjoy Kevin Costner drinking urine, then that's your thing. Um, wow. I know p- people who will defend that movie, and I'm kind of indifferent to it. I don't hate it. I don't love it. I just think, eh, Mad Max on water, meh, not so much. <laughs> but anyway, Kevin Reynolds... Um, really i mean it's it's it becomes propaganda <laughs> in some regards in, in at least the way i'm framing it and it could just be because like well i don't really know if all that really happened or not <laughs> but the same goes with the witch in that like well i don't really know if witches really existed and satan you know appeared and had this kind of effect so it's just weird that like both movies presented faith and what it can lead to mm-hmm. in two radically different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and one was just kind of like a you know sword and sandals and escapist action and this is more family drama meets horror that i thoroughly preferred the witch <laughs> it's just more more my my style more the kind of movies that i gravitate towards and you know if people if people don't connect with it it's n- it's not one of those where i'm gonna be like what's wrong with you mm-hmm. you know but at the same time I'm going to defend it to the grave. Well, you know, there's a lot of people who, who don't like Grimm's fairy tales or uh, yeah, yeah, or even some of those Disney movies. But um, yeah, I, I, I can't wait to have a kid so I could take him to something like this and teach them about morality. Um, Ooh. But I <laughs> um, should also mention this is um, this. I think we did say this is the inaugural or directorial debut of uh, Robert Eggers. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know yeah. much about the guy. I'll have to look him up. So uh, I believe he was like a production assistant or I don't want to skew his biography too much. But um, but in the work, so he does plan to write and direct a remake of Nosferatu. Uh-oh. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I, I would be interested to see it, though, because I, again, do like the cinematography very much in The Witch. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. I just, you know, I want more original scripts, please. But I understand if... Get a remake out of your system. I don't. Well, look, it. you know, it's been 92, 94 years since the original Nosferatu came out. Yeah, I mean... It, uh, and Nosferatu itself is based on Dracula. Sure. So... I don't know. Either way, I'm I'm looking forward to to what he does next. Like the witch, um, yeah, I I, I loved it, and uh, <laughs> I loved it a lot, and I'm excited to see it again. I don't know if I'll see it in the theater or not. It's kind of one of those I also want to just have a nice intimate experience at home, maybe with a with a glass of wine mm-hmm. and uh, my own dark thoughts. <laughs> So, <laughs> a glass of blood, red wine. <laughs> so, so any other witch movies you would pair this with, or uh, uh, hmm. any, I, should any? Think of, I should think of a list. Yeah, some some witch movies besides Suspiria and the witches. Yeah, the witches is good. <laughs> um, I'm sure. Oxon, Oxon. Oh yeah. Ox off the sequel. Wow, good one. Thank you. Thank you. See, you know, if you want, next time you go on a date, just of course. Send, send me I'll, a little text. I I'll can use call that. some puns for you. Or, uh, uh, yeah, I'll just like describe where we're at and mm-hmm. what we're talking about. Yeah. Oh, we should do the Roxanne thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Sereno de Bergiac. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, totally. And I have the nose for it, too. <laughs> Although it's going to be tough. I don't know. So, well, actually, I would be in the replacement part. Or wait, mm-hmm. no. Because you're trying to woo her, and I'd be feeding you the lines. Right. So it'd be like a reverse Cyrano de Bergerac. No, that's how... Wasn't that... No, because he's the one who's trying to get with her, but he's he has the long nose. So oh. he's yeah. feeding his friend the lines. Right. That's true. Okay. Either way, um, you know, I... <laughs> I can I can get you within her pants in about five puns. How about that? That's my guarantee. <laughs> she might listen to this, so I might have to cut that last line out. Or at least make it the stinger. <laughs> Boom. See, there's another pun right there. 
Boom. <laughs> well, um, this was th- wonderful, uh, Nat. Th- I, thank you very much for having me on, Jim. Um, yeah, thanks for talking about this movie with me. Because um, as we were texting, I was like, you know what? I want to talk. You know, like like people mm-hmm. do sometimes. Yeah. When you walk out of this movie, the first thing you want to do is like, hmm, I want to talk to somebody smart about this movie. And they weren't available, so you got me. Well, I, I, I was very busy, and I couldn't go out to dinner with my cousin at the time. And I, I would have. I would have. But um, where can people read more of your work? Where can people find you? And where are you podcasting? All that good stuff, just so people can track you down and stalk you. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, outside of my episodes that you can find uh, on Directors Club, uh, what was it? Uh, John Houston, Auto Preminger, and David Lynch. Um, regularly podcast at where the long tail ends.com with Robert Reinecke and Cody Lang on still watching the skies. That's a lot of words. Just look up still watching the skies. And if you get a goofy thirties looking cartoon, that's us. Um, we're looking forward to our next episode, which is going to be Godzilla and the H man or H bomb or some bullshit like that, that Robert chose. Nice. Um, but yeah, uh, we do specials a bunch there too. And, uh, right now, uh, as we're recording this, it's about the tail end of February. We're about to launch the last couple episodes of uh, the Prisoner mini podcast that I did with Kurt Halfyear. Oh, from yeah, I got to get on that. I got to get yeah. on that. Well, you're in it or I'd, part of it. Oh, hmm. hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I am. See, yeah, even you haven't even been listening, Jim. Come on. No, what I know. Are you I know doing the, with the I, time? Being I know how you do the beginnings. I listened right. to the first couple episodes. So I, I, I know the just deal. The beginnings of the first couple. Oh, you're just <laughs> listening for your own stuff. I see how. It no, is. no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> listening just to the beginnings. All right. I just know how you're starting out each episode. Mm-hmm. I figured it out. Ah, so, okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, but yeah, you can find those over at row3.com or where the longtailends.com. Um, and my name is fairly, you know, rare, so it's not that difficult to find me. If you want to hunt me down, you know, it should be that difficult to get my, you know, whole pattern down and you can take me out. Um, but, uh, I'm very glad that we did have a chance to speak, Jim, or at least we had a chance to get together sometime this weekend. Um, and hopefully we'll do so sometime soon in the future. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's definitely catch a movie in the next couple weeks or so, um, Either at the Music Box for the 70 Millimeter Festival, or um, you we know. got the Chicago Film Critics Film Festival coming up sometime soon, don't we? That's in May. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, depending on when you're listening. Yeah. Well, to we'll reunite there for sure, and maybe we'll get to meet Sarah Polly again. Hey. Oh, that was so nice. Oh yeah, she was checking you out too. No, she. <laughs> she was. She was just trying to make sure that I wasn't going to steal her idea because I was like, you know what? I would really like to do the make a make my own version with my dad because that movie was really sweet. And she's like, oh yeah, well just 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 I was, I was like, oh don't, don't don't worry, I would make an audio version of it. I wouldn't make a documentary. And she's like, okay, good. <laughs> she just didn't want me stealing you. her idea. Clearly. Well, yeah, but, if it you know it was her father's idea anyway. Mm, wasn't it? I don't know if it was her father. I, th- I mean, he starts out telling stories in the film, but I don't know if it was like his. Yeah, because he's know. the one who started telling the stories and writing the stuff down. Didn't but then he? she was like, "Hey, well, well pff, any jackass can say, hey, let's film this. Come on. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But no, I, t- I took her aside. I said, this gym guy, 
He's got the goods where it mm-hmm. counts. He's got he's got tons of puns, and he knows how to party. And she's like, "Ooh, I want some of that." And I love take the waltz. Yeah, I've defended it over and over and over again. <laughs> well, good. Well, good. Thanks, Nat. <laughs> we'll be in touch, brother. Great. Thanks very much for having me, and um, congratulations again on the Now Playing Network. Listen to a couple of shows because I actually listen to my friend's podcast. Well, like some I'm, people, I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just slowly catching up with the with the, with the episodes of the Prisoner. I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm joking. There. I'm, getting I'm, there. Just, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm, I'm just. I, no, I believe you actually are watching this, Andrew James. I don't believe for a second that he has watched any episodes of the Prisoner yet, and I'm calling you out, Andrew. Um, but I do believe you have. Too. So um, <laughs> I'll be amazed if he listens to this. <laughs> yeah. I, at this point, at this point, I'm just like, okay, you know, maybe two years ago, Jay Cheel and and Andrew talked about how they listened to my show and it was great. I don't, I don't think they've kept up on it because they're very busy now. <laughs> they have lives. The, Jay is well, so making a movie. Jay is making a movie, and Andrew just completed his master's degree in computers. So <sighs> I'm not, I'm not, you know. Hey, I was, I was doing this show when I completed my master's. So. Hmm. Andrew James has no excuse. Just kidding. We love you, Andrew. Of but, course we do. But for the for the fifth time, thank you very much. Jane. Thank you, Nat. <laughs> and great talking a, to you. And have a good yeah, night. We'll All right. See you soon. See you soon. Bye bye. Well, that was great. Um, I I couldn't have been more pleased with that conversation because I was like I mentioned, eager to talk with somebody about this film the moment I walked out of it, and I was kind of like. Hmm. I could talk to Eric Childress, <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, that could have been an interesting conversation. I realize now thinking about it, but he, you know, maybe I could have made it a threesome because um, he does not concur with our uh, unabashed love for this film. But he, you know, at the same time, he elaborates that on his own podcast, which you can check out at the Now Playing Network, uh, NowPlaying.net. His Latest episode, episode three, is about the witch, uh, in part, anyway. Uh, Movie Madness is his podcast. He's doing a very good job thus far. A lot of monologuing, and, I mean, he's got, he's got some guests um, in the first two episodes and um, many more to come, and he's really good at interviews. I, I give him mad props for that. So I'm, I'm very proud of the guy. He's doing wonderful work as a podcaster, as is Jim Hankey, who... Also, nowplayingnetwork.net, check out Vinyl Emergency if you're a fan of music and vinyl and great interviews. Just You don't even have to be like a diehard music freak or a vinyl head or collector. You just have to be a fan of interesting interviews with interesting people, people that um, I knew of in name but did not know their extensive history. And Jim is really doing wonderful work there. Um, he's so good at social media, it's kind of putting me to shame. Um, like, I, I think he's probably like, well, I can kick Laskowski's butt when it comes to social media. And maybe that's why he's like, well, I'll just do everything myself because I know what I'm doing in that regard. Um, he's, he's, both of these podcasters are great. And I'm glad that they're part of the Now Playing Network, as is Pop Culture Club, which you can check out at popcultureclub.net, as well as Directors Club. The next episode will be on Sydney Lumet, as we mentioned. So please check those shows out that I host um, over at nowplayingnetwork.net. So thanks, everybody, for listening to this crazy conversation about a crazy horror film. 
um, and some other earlier nuggets that you heard. So we'll see you soon with an interview episode to come, possibly with a composer um, that I'm very excited to talk with. So hopefully that happens in the next week or two. Until next time, visit nowplayingnetwork.net. Thanks, everybody, and have a great couple of weeks. Bye-bye.